The Litro Lab podcast. Locks, afros and braids by Reagan Razan. Shave your dreadlocks or forfeit the competition. This was the ultimatum given to high school wrestler Andrew Johnson during a wrestling match in December 2018. The referee of Johnson's match, Alan Maloney, is notorious for his racial discrimination. He made the decision to give Johnson an impromptu haircut because he claimed it violated guidelines. After being coerced to cut off and disregard an important part of his identity, Johnson went on to achieve a victory in overtime. The criminalization of hair as it grows naturally from one's head is not limited to this one incident. As the 55th anniversary of the Civil Rights Act approaches, U.S. courts are still divided about African Americans' right to wear their natural hair in the workplace. I argue that a person's natural hair is a genetically derived, immutable, physical characteristic that continues unchangingly and is being policed by race-based policies, which stem from the unlawful and unfair stereotyping. The Crown Act, which stands for Creating a Respectful and Open Workplace for Natural Hair, was passed on July 3, 2019 in California. This act states that professionalism was, and still is, closely linked to European features and mannerisms. The Crown Act highlights the socio-cultural framework that continues to let Western appearance standards, which are closely related to whiteness, dominate over others. This legislation was adopted in hopes to combat black hair discrimination, as seen in Johnson's case. In a similar move, Governor Andrew Cuomo signed a bill in New York and stated that, For much of our nation's history, people of color, particularly women, have been marginalized and discriminated against simply because of their hairstyle or texture. That's a nappy-headed horse there, I'm going to take that down. However, detractors of this legislation argue that hair is a mutable choice and discrimination against it does not exist or target specific ethnic groups. Thus, leading the creation of workplace policies that base professionalism on hairstyles, ultimately perpetuating the notion that blackness and the associated physical traits are unprofessional and inferior. As a black woman who wears her hair most often in its natural curly state, it is imperative for me to explore how an integral part of my identity is being policed by employers and society at large, even under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act. Title VII of the Civil Rights Act is a federal law that prohibits employers from discriminating against employees on the basis of race, sex, color, national origin, and religion. As Imani Gandhi says on Rewire, when Congress passed the Civil Rights Act of 1964, it is unlikely when considering Title VII and discrimination on the basis of race that it gave much thoughts to prohibitions on quintessentially black hairstyles as being part and parcel of racial discrimination. While this could be true, Title VII is now used to expand and cover injustices not considered in 1964. For example, in the case of Pricewaterhouse v. Hopkins, 1989, the Supreme Court expanded Title VII to include gender stereotyping as sex discrimination. Anne Hopkins filed this lawsuit after being denied a promotion at work because she was too macho and did not perform gender in the way that her job thinks she should. 
The employer stated that she should wear makeup, style her hair, and act more feminine. The court agreed that this was obvious gender discrimination because it was based on someone failing to act and appear according to society's gender expectations. The same logic used in this case can be applied to hair discrimination today because grooming policies express a bias against naturally occurring black hair textures and preference for white hair textures that are considered the social norm. My question to you, have you ever experienced hair discrimination? Oh, for sure. I mean, between hair discrimination, but more so upon myself. Do you know what I mean? Like, um, just having my own insecurities about my hair. And I remember this one, th uh, one thing specifically. Um, I was looking at this magazine and it said what beauty looked like. And it was all uh, women that did not look like me, yep. uh, with blonde hair. And I was thinking, well, if that's what beauty looks like, then where do I fit in? Wow. As mentioned before, California was the first state to mandate a law that bans hair discrimination. The Crown Act addresses unfair grooming policies that have a disparate impact on black women, men, and children, and has drawn attention to cultural and racial discrimination taking place within workplaces and schools. I was expelled from school for having braided hair extensions. And there was this kid who bullied me, called me a boy, and said I looked ugly. People used to call me pigeon's nest. Delve in deeper. This law also makes it illegal to enforce dress codes at schools that are biased against hairstyles, such as afros, braids, twists, and locks. While this law is long overdue, it will hopefully ensure a culture change, not only in work institutions, but also in how we view professionalism. By dictionary definition, professionalism is the conduct, aims, or qualities that characterize or mark a profession or a professional person. But which qualities does this refer to? Many would say professionalism refers to work ethic and how an individual conducts themselves on the job. However, this word has become code for white favoritism in workplace practices. For example, according to American grassroots organizers and scholars, Tima Okun and Keith Jones, the standards of professionalism are heavily defined by white supremacy culture or the systematic, institutionalized centering of whiteness. Because the agency says there is a widespread and fundamentally racist belief that black hairstyles are not suited for formal settings and may be unhygienic, messy, disruptive, or unkept. It added those beliefs are often rooted in white standards of appearance and perpetuate racist stereotypes that black hairstyles are unprofessional. This affects how blackness can operate in open spaces, such as workplace and school, while being suppressed by this culture that polices every aspect of it. Fred Moten demonstrates this concept by saying, Blackness, live both as the denial of and the incapacity for worldliness, is properly understood as constraint, when constraint is improperly understood as undesirable, as a radical undesirability in the face of belligerent fantasy of the freedom of, or of freedom in the world. Black hair is personal and political, 
as it shows how identities of gender and sexuality are constructed, represented, and reinforced. In the book Hair Matters, Beauty, Power, and Black Women's Consciousness, Ingrid Banks argues that hair represents broader articulations about beauty, power, and Black women's consciousness. By consciousness, she means a consciousness that represents difference and the multiple realities that Black women face. A social and political history and reality exist that constitute what it means to be Black and female in a racist and sexist society. While that is being said, some people believe that the only appropriate and non-political hairstyles are hairstyles that approximate whiteness. Not only pertaining to white people, texturism in the black and natural hair community is real, and it implies that hair texture is an inherent indicator of your overall superiority. Good hair means curls and waves. Bad hair means you look like a slave. At the turn of the century, it's time for us to redefine who we be. Those who have what society deems undesirable hair may spend valuable time and money to burn it straight. This goes to show, even in the wake of hair appropriation and appreciation, white hair is still more favored and more professional. Performance of blackness, as Stephanie Leigh Batiste notes, is a way to express consideration of what black people do, what black people make, what black people are, that is, rather, how we do being. Ergo, the act of suppressing the way black men and women express their gender, sexuality, individuality, style, and blackness overall through their hair is unjust and outright unconstitutional. Batiste also says, Blackness calls up a performance of the self that makes one audience to one's own selfhood. The position of oneself in witnessing this performance has been subject of black philosophies of selfhood, consciousness, and identity. Therefore, by policing a part of one's identity, you are stripping someone of their ability to perform and, in turn, of their humanity and selfhood. Remember that in a society that dictates what is good and bad and has rules that disproportionately target black hair, your hair is beautiful and not unprofessional. While California may have been the first of 50 states to pass legislation to outlaw hair discrimination, it is necessary for the rest of the states to join along and do so. Subscribe to the Litro Lab podcast on Spotify.